Welcome to Real Issues, Real Talk, for students by students, a collaboration between the University of South Alabama and the University of the Virgin Islands, as well as the Northeast Caribbean AIDS Education and Training Center. We are peer educators, and we have come together to leverage technology to engage our campuses in conversations that empower students to be proactive and examine important health issues. We are encouraging all students to be curious about health and wellness so we can use our critical thinking skills to replace misinformation or a lack of information with impactful strategies to become more informed, more open-minded, and more involved in taking charge of our health. Our main goal for these podcasts is for listeners to not only use the important information for their own benefit, but to share the information with one, two, or more students so that real information is accessible to everyone. There are many tough topics out there that need our attention, and we hope listeners get curious with us so we can all make a difference together. Hello, my name is Rachel Finsky, and I'm the Outreach Librarian for the Biomedical Library at the University of South Alabama. Welcome to our podcast on the stigma of mental health. I am joined today with my colleague, Debbie Cicero-Siefer from the Northeast Caribbean AIDS Education Training Center, and our two guest speakers, Ms. Deidre Dias and Ms. Patricia Tao, who will be engaging in conversations on the stigma of mental health with our peer educators from the University of South Alabama and the University of the Virgin Islands. Let me first be be begin by introducing Ms. Deidre Dias. Deidre is an Associate Counselor with the University Counseling and Testing Center at the University of South Alabama and has 16 years of mental health and higher education experience. She is a member of the American College Counseling Association and has been the past president of the Mississippi Counseling Association and past vice president of the Southeast Texas Counseling Association. Welcome, Deidre, to our podcast. Thank you. And now Debbie will introduce our guest speaker, Ms. Patricia Tao from the University of the Virgin Islands. Hello, everyone. It's so nice to have so many wonderful people on this amazing podcast today. Uh, my name is Debbie Sistero-Siefer. I'm with the Northeast Caribbean AIDS Education and Training Center. It is so nice to meet you, Deidre. I'd like to introduce you to one of our counselors at the University of the Virgin Islands. This is Ms. Patricia Towell. Patricia is a licensed professional counselor who delivers counseling and career services at the University of the Virgin Islands, also known as UVI. Having come from Texas in 2011, this proud Texan found her Caribbean niche and really enjoys her work with the UVI students. Seeing the growth and the development of students from first year to graduation brings great fulfillment to Patricia. Getting to work at what she truly enjoys is a great gift and helping people make the most of themselves at the university is Patricia's mission. Patricia, welcome. Thank you very much. It's really a pleasure to be here. And let me say from the Virgin Islands, good afternoon. Thank you for that. It's so nice to have experts in lots of things on this call. We have experts in peer advocacy and we have experts in mental health on the university campuses. I'd like to just bring up today 
that an article that came out in 2021, but it came out just this week, showed data that 37% of youth are reported experiencing poor mental health during the past two years. And 44% of these youth who were queried said that they experienced persistent feelings of sadness and or hopelessness during the 12 months prior to the survey. Patricia Deidre, the university peer educators and advocates here today are very energized to learn ways they can work to deconstruct mental health stigma. I am now going to leave you in the capable hands of our five peer educators today. We have Kaylor, Jakima, and Catherine from the University of the Virgin Islands, and Connor and AJ from the University of South Alabama. Connor, I am passing the torch to you and this amazing group of peer educators. Thank you so much, Debbie. Everyone, welcome to episode two of Real Issues, Real Talk, for <laughs> students, by students, a collaboration between the University of South Alabama and the University of the Virgin Islands. My name is Connor Thutel, and I'm joined by my incredible co-host, AJ, and our wonderful peer educators over in the Virgin Islands. Let's go ahead and start with Kaylor. Hi, everyone. I am Kayla Bass, and I am a psychology major here at the University of the Virgin Islands on the St. Thomas campus, and I am so excited to be part of the conversation today. Awesome, Kayla. It's great to have you on, and let's go ahead and pop over to Jakima. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to episode two. My name is Jakima, as Connor so lovely mentioned to me, and this right here is Catherine Seabrooks. My name is Catherine Seabrooks here at the St. Thomas campus. I'm also a peer mental health educator and the president of Sigma Tau Delta, and I'm so excited to be here today to learn more. So glad to be invited by my peer, Jakima. This is great, y'all. Thank you guys so much for joining. And as we know, with every single one of these episodes, we'd like to break down a stigma. And today, we're breaking down the stigma of mental health. And we're joined by two incredible experts that Debbie and Rachel did such an amazing job of introducing. But I would like to allow them the opportunity to just say one or two more things about themselves, maybe help humanize them a little bit from all of their awards that they have. Um, so let's go ahead and start with Deidre. Well, um, I am originally from um, Cleveland, Mississippi, uh, moved to uh, Mobile uh, last semester, so in the springtime of, of um, last year, and um, just really enjoying um, being at a new university, learning the culture here. The environment is wonderful, um, you know, as, as it was mentioned earlier, I've, I've been doing this for about 16 years. Um, but even, you know, within those years, you, you always learn more. And so um, this has just been a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to be here. Awesome. And Patricia, would you like to say anything? Sure. I've been at the university here for about 10 years. And I just want to say to all these younger folks, life is long. God spare life. And this dream of living in the Virgin Islands happened, started back in 1983 when we made a vacation trip here. And then we went home. I was pregnant with our first child and she is now in her thirties and she is uh, a PhD living in California doing um, autonomous uh, sailing drone, machine learning. Um, and our second child 
um, came along and he also was not coming back to Texas, which is where we're from. He is a major in the military, um, in the Air Force, and he will be next posted to Japan. So when those two got ready to get into their own lives, we decided that mom and dad could come and live in the Virgin Islands, and we did. So I'm just saying, have your dreams, pursue your dreams. Dreams are not gonna chase you. You need to chase your dreams. Absolutely. And once again, thank you guys so much for taking the time out of your busy schedules to be with us today on our podcast. So for our listeners tuning in for the very first time, let's just kind of break down how this podcast works. Yes, we're covering a heavy topic, and that's the whole point of the series, but we can have fun with it. There shouldn't be a stigma surrounding talking about mental health. So let's try to break that down a little bit. This is going to be purely conversational. If at any point anyone wants to interrupt, feel free. We're just here to have a nice little chat. And to start us off, I'm gonna poise the question. First and foremost, do you believe there is a stigma surrounding mental health? Well, I'll start. I I absolutely believe there is a stigma, Um, but the stigma has changed. Um, You know, the, the years ago, you know, there was a stigma. No one wanted to talk about mental health. No one wanted to be associated with mental health. Um, But there's been a shift the past couple of years, and that shift um, has created an opportunity for people to be more open and to talk about their struggles um, and, and, you know, talk about mental health services and and all of those things that are associated with that. Um, Does the stigma still exist? Absolutely. Uh, But it's not like it used to be. Well, I also agree there is a stigma. And of course, this is a Caribbean culture. And there's some other overtones here with stigma and how asking for help is perceived, how talking about these topics are perceived. But one of the things with all the travail that COVID-19 has brought us, it all put us in the same boat. We all experienced a great deal more ambiguity than people are really comfortable with. Um, It put young people in a particular bind because college years are when you're planning your future. Well, for a while there in 2020, we didn't know what the future was going to be. And so the idea that 37%, 44% of our youth are undergoing um, more uh, mental health challenges is really kind of comes with the territory that we've all, all just been in the middle of. So I also agree with Deidre that that the stigma has changed somewhat, but here it is still pretty strong that you're supposed to pull yourself up, you're supposed to deal with it, you're supposed to get over it, you're supposed to be able to lean on your family, your church, your community, rather than go outside of those areas to seek help and counseling. And sometimes it just works better to, to go outside of some of those things and realize you can't always do it alone and it's okay not to do it alone. Absolutely. And I think there's like no better way to phrase it than saying like, it's okay to not do it alone. I mean, I currently right now live in Mobile, Alabama. Um, And while the stigma surrounding mental health, at least where I live, has gotten a lot better, there is still kind of that mentality where people are like, oh, you're struggling a little bit, lean on your family, lean on your church, maybe talk to your pastor a little bit about it like seek help as a last resort people are kind of like open to it but it's more in the light of like 
that's like the nuclear option. Like, is it really that bad that like you can't handle it yourself? Let's go. Okay. It is great. Let's get you with a counselor. When in reality, like getting you with a counselor should be one of the first things you should do so you can facilitate those healthy conversations surrounding mental and, and you make a good point. The sooner that you get that support, the better the outcome. Um, here at the Virgin in the Virgin Islands at the university, we recently received a SAMHSA grant and we are now training people in mental health first aid. So if you see those kinds of workshops in your area, please go get that training. It's kind of like CPR for mental health. And we have trained a few sets of students here already. And the uh, kind of training you get with that really lets you know, the sooner someone starts seeking help and getting support, the better the outcome. When it's small, it's much easier to recover from. While talking about those courses, is there a way for individuals to advocate for those to come to their area or is that just something that happens through the well, this came to us through a SAMHSA grant, but even before our grant, we had mental health first aid here. There are purveyors throughout the um, United States that get these grants and then they reach out to universities and other places because they need to be doing these workshops to, in order to keep their funding. So um, I would think checking with your counseling services and Deirdre will be happy to share what we know about that grant and how we got it. But there may be like, we've had it here through other medical clinics. Um, we had it, somebody sent us something in 2015 and said, would the university like to be involved in this? It's free to you. It's free to the people who come um, and will come to your island. And those expenses were paid for. It's always a consideration when you're in the middle of the Caribbean Sea. So people coming to you. Um, but at any rate, uh, it's a great question, AJ. Um, ours came to us through SAMHSA, uh, the Mental Health First Aid Organization. You could Google that and contact them directly to see if there are any trainers in the Mobile area. I would be amazed if there were not some that were in, within the scope of your area. Yeah, we have um, two here. I'm one of them. I was trained through the um, National Board of Certified Counselors, um, but we have two that are actually here um, in our counseling center. Um, I've um, when we first got trained, when I first got trained, I was at the um, I was at Lamar University in mm -hmm. Beaumont, Texas. Yeah. So um, that's where uh, we received our training as as professors. And then uh, we actually went to St. Lucia and did some training over there and did some first aid oh, um, certifications over there for some of the people on that particular island. So, yeah, we have it here and different organizations uh, will sponsor that sometimes. I'm actually going to one for veterans um, in a couple of weeks that's here in Mobile. So it's here. So if you want some more information on it, I can definitely share that with you. Even better. Awesome. Y well, okay. So... I know we've talked a lot about like stigma, things that universities are doing to help break down the stigma surrounding mental health awareness. But I guess, let me poise this question because both of you work with university students on like a day-to-day -day basis. And I'd love to hear from like our other like peer educators over in the Virgin Islands too, like how they feel about this. But I guess, what's the best way to say this? Do you think that the stigma surrounding mental health is still prevalent? 
amongst college students? Or do you think it's getting so great to the point where, you know, everyone who's like of college age is like, oh, the stigma's not really there, like go seek help, no shame whatsoever about it? Well, I could start, I could speak to that a little bit. So I think that there is definitely still a stigma, but I think Ms. Baez and Ms. Towell would have mentioned, you know, that it's not as prevalent. I think as generations go on and on that that stigma is being reduced a bit um, among college students in particular, people around my age. I would say that we're a little more open to, you know, what we call self-care, which is, you know, putting yourself first, putting your mental health first. And we're a little bit more open to taking breaks and taking the time to make sure that we're right. But yeah, I still think that, that right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I still think that there's a stigma in that, you know, somebody might have test anxiety, for example, and then they might say, oh, I recognize that this is test anxiety, but it's not a big enough deal for me to seek help. So they can recognize that there's an issue, but they don't think it's a big enough issue to go ahead and seek help. So almost like people are self-aware of their issues, but they don't want to seem like, oh, it's not really that big of a deal. I'm just not going to yeah. like go seek help because people are like dealing with things that are way worse. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I, I hear that so often. Um, you know, I'm not as bad as some people. This is one of the things that I hear. Mm. And so, you know because they measure themselves based on someone else or they think, well, you know, it's not that bad. I need to see a counselor. I can yeah. just handle this myself. And then, you know, it doesn't always work out in their favor in the end. No, I mean, cause like everyone responds to different situations Absolutely. differently, right? Like we're all individuals. So like how I interpret one event isn't necessarily how like AJ would interpret it or how like Jakima would interpret it or anything like that. So when you almost like belittle your own, emotions in a way you're like denying yourself help Jakima, do y'all have anything that you guys want to like throw in on here yes i totally agree with what my counterpart kayla had to say as generations do go by the stigma reduces a bit and i also think like with any other thing constant exposure so before mental health issues were seen as people used to hide um, persons that are related to them are on them all the time, like behind closed doors. But now you see them being integrated in the classrooms. You see them being integrated in programs, society. People don't are not much ashamed of having people that have mental issues around them. And you see them interacting in crowds and you're like, wow. So because we are so exposed to it, it gets less and less taboo. And it's no longer a child pointing and asking, mommy, what's wrong with him? Because they're exposed to people who, who deal with mental issues in their classrooms as integration. They're like, I learned that in school and my teacher taught me about that and we know ways to work with that. So more exposure, more education, the more people are accommodating as well as it gets reduced. So I think a reduction is happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Now, not to necessarily play devil's advocate here, but I just want to just for a second, because Deidre, you made this point, you said, you know, the whole thing about someone saying like, oh, their problems aren't as bad as someone else's because they see it this way. Do you think, and this doesn't represent my personal stance on this in any way, shape or form, 
but do you guys think that more mental health advocacy in schools, on social media, um, and when they portray, like, these are the ideal signs of, like, depression, anxiety, um, test anxiety, so on and so forth, when people see that and then they're like, oh, well, I don't line up perfectly with that, so it must mean that I don't have an issue, do you think that does more harm than good? Should we actually like revert back a little bit on the education or should we make the education more broad or we're just like, these are just a few signs. This doesn't necessarily mean like if you're exhibiting this, then you have it. What's y'all's take on that? Yeah, I think, I think both. I think, you know, um, we need to continue educating because so many people don't really know what those signs are. Um, I had a conversation with someone earlier just talking about the signs of anxiety, um, but they had no idea what those signs were. So education still needs to be a big part of that. Um, But, you know, I also think that having that conversation and making it known that everybody is different. And so everybody is not going to have the same experience. That way they don't look at those characteristics as just, you know, this is the only thing that I need to exhibit in order to have this particular issue. I think conversation is good. Anything that normalizes what people are going through. And in a weird way, COVID kind of normalized everybody Mm -hmm. um, being under extreme stress, not a good way to do it, but (laughs) it happened. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I've noticed in the Virgin Islands, after our newest governor was inaugurated, we started hearing a lot, lot more public service announcements from our mental health agencies, from our public health agencies. They talked about suicide, they talked about AIDS. And, and come and get tested, let's get it down to zero. So these were things were going out on the radio and they were going out pretty frequently. So again, that exposure to things and people getting used to talking about it, um, it, it does help. I know my college students and I'm sure Deirdre's too and your peers, they're already wondering, am I a this, am I that, am I going through bipolar, am I going through eating disorder? And so education, yes, I see your point, Connor, but I do think that educational piece, um, they're already doing it, whether we're educating or not. Um, we, we had a movie event here on campus, I think last night, um, and it was about a bipolar movie, um, a bipolar um, video. And people walked away saying, man, I thought I knew what bipolar was about, but I didn't understand that's mania. Um, so those kind of like saying, I'm not as bad as other people, you do need parameters. And it can't just be us counselors that know all that good stuff. We need, we need professors to know, we need students to know, we need staff members to know so that we can all be more supportive because we all go through this at some in some way, sometime, in some moments of our life. Right, I think um, that's why it's so important for roles like advocates for mental health, like myself and Catherine are here on the campus because we are peers. And so we might be better able to relate to other students um, here on the campus because we might hear some of these tips from people like Deidre and Miss Towell. And we go, oh, they're like the real adults, like. You know, so it sounds more <laughs> clinical. You know what I'm saying? It sounds more clinical than if it's coming from another student. Um, so part of it is education and another part of it is experience because if you share your experiences 
with other people, it normalizes those experiences because then you could see somebody who's going through the same thing or maybe a similar situation and go, hey, like I see myself in that. And that might prompt you to talk to the person and ask more questions. And, you know, as a um, advocate, if I have that information, I could always share that with them or refer them to the correct people. And it I think it helps a lot to have those conversations about experiences. Oh, no, totally. I think it's amazing. And while we're on the topic of COVID, do y'all think that there's going to be lifelong implications of it or on mental health in general? Well, I think there are going to be a lot of implications for many more years. Um, putting mental health aside, education issues, especially with younger children who have basically here in the Virgin Islands spent two years with little to no education because their families didn't have the resources to do online education. That's gonna impact things for years to come. But getting back on mental health, um, we're not, we are mostly an optimistic nation. And suddenly we were thrown into a total quagmire um, and the ambiguity issues, people are not meant to be comfortable in ambiguity. And most people are not comfortable with ambiguity. So this idea that um, we were being told things like, uh, as an administrator, make the best decision you can for this week, because next week you may have to change it. Um, those kinds of things, telling college students, yes, plan for the future, but live in the moment because it's just too stressful. If you try to figure it all out, like you, your um, forebears may have done before the COVID hit. So hopefully we are moving in the right direction where we can get back to um, where we are able to do better planning and count on it in a better way. So yes, the short answer is, yep, we're going to be living with it for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I know we've seen an increase across the board. I was at a different university before coming here. Um, the number of students that were coming in for grief and depression um, increased significantly. I uh, was looking at some data from Active Minds, which is a, a national organization, but they were also saying that stress and anxiety is up 91%. Um, across the board, depression and sadness is up 81%. Um, loneliness and isolation up 80%. So they're I think we're going to be dealing with this for a very, uh, very long time. And because we're not completely out of it, um, you know, this is going to linger for a while. Mm -hmm. And people for what, almost two years, we've been told, stay away from other people, cover your face up. Now, we're adults, we can make that pivot. But younger children, um, and even here at my university, we recently lifted the mask mandate. Most people are still wearing them. So this idea of when are we going to feel safe? When are we going to be able to interact as we did in January of 2020? What do you guys think, just in your professional opinions, I know we're very like speculative here, but what do you think those like long-term implications are for like the isolation being reserved, like being told to like force yourself to stay away from other people because it's for your best interest, for your health and safety of others. And then like overnight being just told like, okay, back to normal, like everything's fine. Well, I think when you're looking at, particularly as I mentioned before, younger people who mm -hmm. don't have the, the world framework that, that those of us in college and working with college students have, that's gonna be something we're gonna have to be ameliorating for quite some time. 
Um, you think about a two-year-old or a four-year-old who is, uh, they don't have our worldview. They don't have that, um, they're not developed along in their critical thinking to see the big picture or understand some of these concepts that have been given to us about why we needed to do these things. So um, in terms of um, older folks, I think people is gonna be very individual. There are going to be people who have reasons why it's more of a risk to them, either because of their own situation within their body or because of people they live with, living with older relatives in their 80s or visiting with people in those age groups. So I think it's going to be a very individual thing, Connor. And mm-hmm. um, in my opinion, um, and we'll, it's one of those things we're going to have to take a wait and see as far as I can tell. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, it's going to be an adjustment. Uh, you know, some students were already suffering uh, with social anxiety. Um, now, since COVID, um, you know, that has, has worsened. So there's just going to be a, a lot of implications. And yeah, I think you're right. We're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah. And to piggyback on what both speakers said, um, children who are at the emerging stage, they really crave um, people hugging them, touching them playing outside. I could remember when I was physically in the classroom before I got here to do my further my degree in education, students were so emotionally traumatized that they couldn't go outside and play with their friends. And then that now coupled with, you can't be with your friends, now you have to step out. Now you don't see students really interacting. They're afraid to be social butterflies. They, 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 tear off from each other. So I feel that they would feel like they're not wanted or they don't belong because at that age, they are all about, this is my friend, that is my friend. And if I don't have that friend, who am I? Or I don't belong. So that sense of belonging is being lost. And it transitions also into adulthood. You're, you're no longer chatting with your friends. You're no longer hanging out with them. And then it's more of a standoffish nature. And, going to further develop and I feel like that sense of belonging and togetherness is going to be lost a bit I believe. And then you also take into account people's personalities because you have those introverts and those extroverts and so for those of us who are introverts we enjoy not being around people. (laughs) We've enjoyed you know having to distance ourselves and and um close our doors because we don't want any company. We have to keep all of our family inside and away from other people. So, you know, for some of us, the, it, it hasn't been a hard adjustment at all, but, you know, especially for those extroverts that really crave that attention and being connected and being active and being out um, and being around other people, it's been a struggle, a, a, a huge struggle for them. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of students that I've heard from, um, now that they're going back to in-person learning, they're struggling with that. And it's not because, you know, they, they are afraid that, you know, they're going to get COVID, but it's just that they had already started adjusting to being alone and studying alone. And now they're back in the classroom. And so that's that adjustment, you know, that they're going to have to make. And some are, are truly struggling with that. Well, so I guess let me ask this. What do you think is the most important thing we could do to break down the stigma surrounding mental health? Um, I think that 
continuing um, educating um, people, making sure that um, people are aware of their resources. Um, we want to be creative and flexible. I think Patricia was talking about that earlier. We have to be flexible. We have to recognize that people have a lot of things going on. And based on that, you know, we just have to keep an open mind and try to provide the services that, you know, they need at that moment. Uh, we also want to utilize, especially on, on college campuses, utilize our peer supports. Um, these students are certified, they're trained. Um, Connor is one of ours. They go out, they educate, and they support the peers that are on campus and point them in the right direction and, and making sure that they um, share those resources that are available, not just on campus, but also in the community too. And that's gonna be an important factor. It is, and, and making space for people. Um, we've all been under what I consider traumatizing circumstances since March of 2020, which is when it really hit our island um, in terms of things changing and uh, remote operations and whatever. And get, you know, just all of us remember I mean, I know we were all taught be kind, but that's really, really important now. Mm -hmm. um, you don't know what that other person's going through. You don't know what their challenges have been. And so making space for people, um, being kind. Um, those of you on this call have made an effort to become an advocate of, um, and get some training, but encouraging your peers to, to do that same thing so that we, we all kind of understand what we're dealing with. But just remembering um, that we haven't walked a mile in their shoes and there may be reasons that we don't understand why things are happening for them at this way at this moment and just making space for people. I've seen actually a increase of discourtesy um, since COVID began. Um, people feeling that they can, that they can tell you to be doing certain things a certain way um, like, why don't you have a mask on or, or, you know, please move away from me. And I've seen a raise in discourtesy, which probably may be the most epitomized by what happened at the Academy Awards the other night. So this, this, um, there, there used to be unseen, unsaid, just decorum expectations that I have seen people since COVID really, um, having, they're, they're more ready to do that. They're more ready to jump into your business. So just giving everybody space, giving everybody the benefit of the doubt. Well, guys, like all good things, it must come to an end. We've covered a lot of really great topics today. We've covered A, why we think there is a stigma surrounding mental health, what we can do to improve that stigma, how education can support destigmatizing mental health, and the everlasting impacts that COVID might have on mental health. But let's say all the listeners that have made it to this point have just forgotten all of that. They've thrown that all out the window. They said, oh, shoot, I took a nap, woke up at the last <laughs> little five minutes of this podcast here. To our experts, Deidre and Patricia, what is one thing, if only if the audience only takes away one line from this entire podcast, what would you like them to know? Um that it is okay not to be okay. And that you are not alone. We're all in this together. Absolutely.
Absolutely. Honestly, I think that was probably two of the most powerful statements that may have ever been said in this series yet. I mean, we're only on episode two, <laughs> but still. <laughs> I would just like to say once again, thank you guys so, so much for taking the time out of your day. Deidre and Patricia, y'all were great. Our friends at the University of the Virgin Islands, y'all were amazing. And to our listeners back home, thank you so much for sticking with us to the end of this podcast. If you guys want to check out more episodes from our Real Issues, Real Talk series, um, please, 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 please check us out on social media. We are available on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, And if you would like to listen to more episodes of our podcast, we are available on all major podcasting streaming platforms. Not to mention, if you guys ever want to hear anything specific out of any of these episodes, please feel free to reach out to us. We are here for you. We want to facilitate these conversations with you. Just be sure to reach out. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Hope everyone has a great day. Thank you for tuning in to Real Issues, Real Talk. For students, by students. Sponsored by the Universities of South Alabama and the U.S. Virgin Islands. And supported by the Northeast Caribbean AIDS Education and Training Center. What you think about the health and wellness issues that affect university students really does matter. We invite you to tell us about the topics that you want to hear going forward in upcoming episodes. Reach out and let us know. And if you like us, talk about us. Talk about us a lot. You've got this and together we've got this. See you guys next time.